there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. All thought, emotional reactions, feeling of oneself, how we take things ordinarily in life with other people, all these things belong to the second level of consciousness. As you know, the second level of consciousness is defined by the work as waking sleep. I've found that people seem to have trouble with these definitions. Second level of consciousness, third level of consciousness, first level of consciousness. And I think the trouble is, I don't believe that Gurdjieff ever really meant for this to be a system. I think that Ospensky, because of the brilliance of his mind, in order to try and communicate it to people, he felt that it was best to put it into a system. And so he did that. I think that Gurdjieff perhaps understood that a system is something with which we can identify more easily. And I think that part of the reason that he changed things so many times was because he could see how we would begin to identify. And when we begin to identify, of course, that we're, we're in the second level of consciousness. That's where you identify is in the second level of consciousness. You don't identify in the third level of consciousness. You identify in the second level of consciousness, being waking sleep. At the third level, thinking, feeling, the sense of what's important and what's not important is completely different. Everything is changed then. So what does that mean? A chair is not a chair? No, a chair is still a chair. Does it mean that you are not who you are? No, it doesn't mean that either. Everything is the same, except that your thoughts, your feelings, what you perceive as important and unimportant is completely different. How can everything be the same if, if your thought and your emotional reactions and your feelings of one's, your feeling of yourself, how you ordinarily take things belong to the second level of consciousness, then what is happening when you say, when, when it said at the third level, thinking, feeling, sense of what's important and unimportant is different? Well, how is it different? Wouldn't it really be better for you to work that out for yourself than have me tell you and have another something that's easily stuck into the system and easily misunderstood. Because the truth is, is that the third level of consciousness is really experienced by many people in flashes. Now they don't stay there for long, but it's experienced in flashes. And you know those flashes by uh, when, you, you, when your time feeling, your feeling of time leaves. And it takes with it your sense of identification. Our sense of identification is very connected to our feeling of time. And it makes sense, doesn't it? We identify with things in time. We identify with our past. Who we are today, according to our sense of ourself, is who we were, is all that, we've, all that we've experienced, all that we've thought, all that we've felt, all that we've seen, all that we've wanted. And who we are today is heavily connected to what we're going to get. So it's not just who we were that made us what we are right now, but also what we want to get. And so that kind of identification keeps us out of this moment, out of the third level of consciousness, where thinking and feeling and what's important and what's not important changes. It all becomes different at that point. So you know when you've had those flashes that suddenly it really wasn't so important what someone said to you two weeks ago or yesterday. It really wasn't so, it's not so important anymore where you might be tomorrow, 
what you might be able to get tomorrow. Because when you're in the third level of consciousness, you don't really care much about tomorrow. You don't really care much about yesterday. Your identification has been withdrawn. Your sense of time feeling has been taken out of it, and your, your identification has gone with it, just left with it. It evaporated. It just somehow just didn't exist anymore. Or if it did exist, it existed at, at a level below you where it didn't matter. It was underneath you now, and it didn't, didn't have the same effect on you. It couldn't, it couldn't wrap itself around you, and you couldn't wrap yourself around it. In other words, you couldn't become entangled with it. So you're not entangled with the same kinds of thoughts, the thoughts that really are thinking you, the feelings that really are moving you around, your feeling of yourself as this thing identified with all of these other things in, in, in time. The troubles, the anxieties, the sources of identification are left below when we flash into the third level of consciousness, suddenly those things don't matter. <laughs> Who cares? Troubles, anxieties, worries, you know, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about that? I don't have to do anything about that right now. Right now all I have to do is be here because that's the flash and that's it. You're freed. You're just suddenly freed. And then we are slowly, or maybe not slowly, quickly, yanked back into the second level of consciousness, our, our, consciousness, our ordinary level of consciousness, our home base, as it were, our home base of identification with all of the things that we've got to keep in order, all of the things that we've got to protect, all of the things that we've got to polish, all the things we've got to put up on the mantelpiece and show off, all of the things that we have to frame so that people can see who we are because we graduated from this place or we did this or we did that or we have this award or we have that award. So that proves who we are because we need proof of who we are. In the second level of consciousness, we need proof of who we are because we don't know who we are. But in the third level of consciousness, you don't need any proof of who you are. You're experiencing who you are. You're being who you are. The stuff that we usually use to build up this idea of ourselves no longer becomes necessary. And with that stuff disappears the troubles, the anxieties, and all the sources of identification. They're all left below. They then become powerless to affect us. Why are they powerless to affect us? We don't care. We don't care about them. Our sense of self is no longer stuck in that mold where it needs all of these supports, all of these props, all of this affirmation. You don't have to affirm the truth. You don't have to deny something that's not true in that state of consciousness. You simply know. It doesn't matter if anyone else knows or not. It doesn't matter if it opposes some thought you had in the second state of consciousness, level of consciousness. It doesn't matter. These flashes aren't enough, though. That's the problem. These flashes are not enough. They point to a possibility a possibility that we could inhabit. They point to a place that we could inhabit that leads even higher to more expansive levels. This work is basically, the work of all esoteric teachings, is to separate us from everything that doesn't belong to the third level. Well, if we could separate from everything that didn't belong to the third level, we'd be in the third level, wouldn't we? Are we in the third level? Everybody shakes their head no. So Steve says yes. We You already are who you are. It's true that it's not fully realized. And it's true that we don't really know what that means. Those are words that we use. It's not fully realized. Those are words that we use. And we use those words because Ospensky said, everybody's awake except that it's just this isn't fully realized. And so we say, everybody's awake except this isn't fully realized. Why? Well, because that's what we do in the second level of consciousness. We don't know, so we repeat what we've heard that we, at one flash, some flash somewhere, we may have actually had the experience of that. 
But the flashes in and of themselves, though they do point to a possibility, though they are affirming in the sense that when you drop back into the second level of consciousness, you can remember that through what, what the work calls work memory. You can remember that and adjust your aim and remind yourself of the techniques that you need to use at this particular point when you're finding yourself so identified or so negative about something that it just pins you, it nails you to the second level of consciousness and you can't reach any higher. But the idea is that if you continue to reach, if you continue to exercise this spiritual muscle, you can remember, you can realize, you can awaken to the awareness of the third level of consciousness that is right here, right now. There's no place to go to get it. To say that we're not in the third level of consciousness is like saying we're not in the atmosphere of the earth. Well, sure you are. Well, but until you said that, I didn't realize that. Okay, we don't realize that we're in the earth's atmosphere. That is not a natural sense that we have in the second level of consciousness. That becomes the kind of different feeling and different thought that we have in the third level of consciousness. You suddenly become aware that you're in the Earth's atmosphere. You suddenly become aware that you are one with everything around you. The first few times, you may not be able to think those thoughts, but you feel it, you sense it, you wonder it. It's more like wondering than thinking. You wonder the truth. You don't think the truth, you wonder the truth. In other words, it just appears to you. It just becomes real to you because you become aware of it. Fourth level of consciousness, same thing. Where is it? Well, it's right here. Well, why aren't we aware of it? The same reason we're not aware of the third level of consciousness. And we're not aware of the first level of consciousness. We're aware of the second level of consciousness because it's where we ordinarily live, which is why our world looks like it looks. What would have to happen for our world to look completely different? Where would you have to go? What, what, you, would you have, what country would you have to go? Where is Shangri-La? Where is paradise? It's right here, right now. And what do we say? But, but! In other words, we will not enter the gates. Why won't we? Because we're identified with something here. But, but is our defense of something here. It's our self-justification for staying where we are. Higher level of consciousness means another way of thinking, freeing the mind from its habitual thinking and emotions. The problem is, is that this takes place in stages, and the stages also have long intervals in between them. So if you're climbing up a flight of stairs, it's like you get to one step, you get both feet on that step. But it took so much to get to that step that you have to rest there and regain your energy. And so we have these long intervals between these steps, these stages, like climbing stairs. As we are, that is. After a while, you may get good with stairs. You may be able to take steps more easily. You may be, may be able to take steps with less rest time in between, shorter intervals. But as we are, it's not that easy. As we are, it's rather difficult. And what makes it difficult is the bungee cords that we have attached to ourselves. The hooks, the bungee hooks that we've stuck into ourselves and stuck into the things on the last step, which are constantly pulling against us. And those bungee cords are our identification. And we have deliberately taken them and hooked them to things. Well, this is my profession. Big bungee cord hook right in that. Big bungee cord hook right in your flesh. Uh, well, this is my wife. Big bungee cord hook right in that. 
big bungee cord hook right in your flesh and your psyche, you know, not just your flesh, but in every part of you. Because we're emotionally attached, we're intellectually attached, we're physically attached. All of these attachments, all of these bungee cords connecting us to these things, and then we try to walk away from those things. Of course, the more bungee cords you've got, the more of an important person you are in life, the more powerful you are, the more control you have, the more prestige you have, the more people look up to you, the more people listen to you, the more you can tell them what to do, the more you can have your way. Unfortunately, when you attempt then to move to a better place, everything that you have built here keeps pulling you back. You may be able to start the journey to the next step, but then you're pulled back and then you try and struggle free and maybe you can undo one or two bungee cords and then you try again and eventually maybe you get but there's you get to the next step but there's still something trying to pull you back the problem is is they're not gradations that steps that everybody is the same for everybody the way it actually is is each, each person has his own staircase so it's not like there's one staircase and we've all got to get up it it's that each person has his own staircase and there's nobody else going to get up that staircase because that's your staircase. That's your case. That's your life. That's your challenge. That's what you have to deal with. You may be able to take this step very easily. And you look at a person over there on his own staircase and he's just really struggling on that one. And you feel so much better. You're, you're just so much better than that person. And then, of course, you're stair that you just stepped up to collapses. It's a, it turns into an escalator when it just takes you right back down to where you were because you're comparing yourself with other people. As soon as you start comparing yourself with other people, that doesn't belong to the third level of consciousness. So if it doesn't belong to the third level of consciousness, you have to go where that belongs. So if you want to compare yourself with other people, then you have to go to the place where that happens. And that's the second level of consciousness. But if you want to be in the third level of consciousness, and you're now in the second level of consciousness, stop comparing yourself with other people. Works both ways. So I could actually, if I'm in the third level of consciousness and I start to identify, well, that will put me back in the second level of consciousness. Well, then if I'm in the second level of consciousness and I stop identifying, yes, that will bring you closer to the third level of consciousness. Well, that's pretty cool when you think about it. Then there might be something that I could do to better my position, to bring myself under a little bit better influence. Yes, that is the theory of this work. That's the theory of this work. Now you have to do it to actually find out what the practice of this work is. What was it, Jess, you said to me the other day about seeing the path, walking the path, what was it? Right, it's your matrix quote, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, knowing the path and walking the path are two different things. And man, that is so true. And that is our problem with this work is that we know this work, but we don't do this work. And then what we do, because we know the work, we say, well, but, but I can't do. The work says I can't do, therefore I can't do. Which just, of course, reveals to us that we don't really know the work. We just know some phrases. We know what it says about this, and we've taken it to mean something that it means in the second level of consciousness, but in the third level of consciousness, it doesn't mean that at all. Well, why doesn't it mean that at all? Well, because in the third level, thinking, feeling, sense of what's important and what's unimportant is completely different. So everything is redefined. Why is it redefined? Because you're no longer that person. It's a lot like trying to put on a pair of shoes that you wore when you were in fourth grade. Most people have bigger feet than they had in fourth grade now, and it would not work for them to put those shoes on. So we've established what's easy for one person isn't necessarily easy for another person. The amount of energy it takes is the same for all. So in other words, 
the amount of energy it takes to get to, whatever the fullness of our possibility is, the amount of energy it takes for everyone to get there is the same. But the staircase is different. Their problems are different. Where they expend that energy is going to be different. For one person, expending that energy in not trying to control other people, it's going to take a lot of energy for, for, for some people. For other people, it won't take energy, any energy at all. They'll just go, well, I don't care. But someone who's addicted to trying to make themselves feel safe and secure by controlling what everyone else around them does, that person's going to have a very difficult time. That's going to take a lot of energy to get past that one. But then they may come against something else, and it'd just be a piece of cake for them where the other person is struggling. So how it all evens out is that the amount of energy is the same. Where that energy is expended is going to be different because of the different staircases. Therefore, don't compare yourself with someone else. And you're not going to be cheated. No one's getting cheated. It's not easier for some and harder for others. It's hard for everybody. <laughs> everybody had to do this. Everybody who did this had to do this. This is the way it is. It's like, oh, but, but for Buddha it was easy. No, it wasn't. Well, for Jesus it was easy. No, it wasn't. Well, for Gandhi it was easy. No, it wasn't. It's not easy for anybody. Well, but they did that. Yeah, and you did that. And you did this. That's not what's important. What's important is, what do you have to do to climb your staircase? Not what did they do to climb theirs? How come they got a free ride? How come somebody helped them and nobody helped me? You don't know. In the second level of consciousness, you don't know. So it's better to stop pretending that you do. But we can't, of course. Because one of the things about the second level of consciousness is you pretend that you know something that you don't know. That's why the work says we're liars. Because we talk about things that we don't really know about, that we don't really know what we're talking about. And we talk about them as if we do. Understanding can't be borrowed from another. If someone has more understanding than you have, you cannot borrow their understanding. The problem is, is that we think that we can. We believe that we can. We believe that if we can borrow their knowledge, we will have their understanding. Knowledge can be borrowed. Understanding cannot be borrowed. Understanding is something that you have to make. And you make that by taking knowledge and applying it. And that will change, alter your level of being. Through application of another's knowledge, your own understanding grows. If it wasn't that way, this would be pointless and there would be no chance for us. Because what would it take for everyone to go out and gather the knowledge on their own without any help? But it's not that way, because knowledge can be borrowed. So someone, else's, someone else can loan you their knowledge. If you wish to apply that knowledge, you can grow your own understanding, which is really pretty cool. Each person's understanding is unique. This is why, another reason why we need not compare ourselves with other people. You may understand something, and I may understand the same thing in a unique way. It doesn't mean my understanding is right and your understanding is wrong. It means we understand this in a unique way. Why? Probably because of the perspective from our particular staircase. Will that ever change? Probably when our perspective changes. That's usually how it works. If I'm looking out the window and I can see something from this perspective and I tell you all about it, you can borrow the knowledge. But until you get up and come over here and look out and look at what I'm looking at, you have just the borrowed knowledge. You don't have the understanding. But when you get up and you come over here and you actually do something with that knowledge, then you can grow your own understanding. Will it be the same? No. But that doesn't matter. It's close enough so that we're able to communicate more accurately with one another. So growth of understanding is only possible when new knowledge is applied to your own being. When we apply knowledge to another person's being, we don't grow. Where do you suppose most of our knowledge is applied? Of course, 
We tell other people what they need to do, and we don't do it ourselves. We imagine that we've done it because we have the knowledge. But knowledge is not understanding. And if we haven't applied the knowledge to ourselves, we haven't grown our own understanding. And if we've applied the knowledge to someone else, that doesn't really grow their understanding either. They may take that knowledge, if they're very, very smart, if they're wise, if they're clever, if they're sly men, they'll take the knowledge that you applied to them, that you didn't use for yourself. They'll take the knowledge you applied to them, and they'll apply it to themselves, and they'll grow. And one day, you'll find that they no longer have any need of you. You'll have to find someone else to apply your knowledge to, which is not a problem because people do that all the time. If I don't express negative emotions, and you imitate not expressing negative emotions, what do you get? A cheap imitation. <laughs> That's pretty funny. You really don't gain anything. Why? The imitation is external. It's like this. Let me, let, me, let me put it to you this way. The Olympic trials are going on right now. I saw the swimming trial when uh, these girls are getting ready to jump into the water and swim and, you know, break all kinds of records and do whatever they do. And, and they have special bathing suits now that enable them to swim faster because their suits help them. That's really cool. And they were all wearing the same kind of suit. So now they're all equal again. But so what really happens? Well, the times will get faster. Will the people actually be faster? No. The times will be faster. Why? Well, because the suits are better. Imitation is external. So it's like the suit. If you go and you put on one of those suits, let's say any one of you here, you go put on one of those suits, are you going to make the Olympic trial? No. But you've imitated. You put the, the little hat on, and you have the suit on, and you have the number on, and, and you, you oil your body. You do everything that they do, and you stand there, and you make all the stretches, and you, make all the, you imitate all the moves. Are you an Olympic swimmer? No, because it's external. It's all imitation. That is why imitating, not expressing negative emotions, isn't the same as express, not expressing negative emotions. This is why I say you can't borrow another person's understanding. You can't live according to another person's understanding. You've got to live with your own understanding. Anything else is external. Anything else is pointless and useless to you, other than it feeds the external side of you, making it stronger, making it more powerful, making your bungee cords thicker and springier and tougher, so that when you do actually try to apply some knowledge to your own self, to grow your own understanding, you'll have that much more resistance that you have inadvertently built. If you apply to yourself the knowledge of how negative emotions work, you may also begin to not express negative emotions. But because everybody's understanding is different, how one person doesn't express negative emotions and how another person doesn't express negative emotions is unique because their understanding is unique. Again, it's not a good idea to compare we were discussing this last night, making an agreement with your partner, your spouse. What you just said or what you just did triggered my pain body, something Eckhart Tolle talks about in his, in his book, The New Earth. And one understanding of that is, I'm not going to say that because then that's me saying, well, you did it to me. You hurt me. You're the blame. And another understanding is, well, no, I don't really understand it that way at all. I understand it as this is my opportunity to separate myself from that emotion, to separate myself from that negative reaction and to put it out in front of me, saying that that is what is happening right now. That triggered this, and that's, what's, that's what that is. But I'm not that. So just the same thing, but two different understandings. And it may be fine for that one person not to say that. Then you can't make an agreement with that person to say that, because for them, if they said that, their 
all attached to the idea that that will build up their ego, that will build up their false personality. So until they can let that go, then they can't do that. Well, you've got to work with the understanding you've got. You can't work with somebody else's understanding. And, and therefore, you can't insist that someone else work with your understanding. This immediately evaporates so many problems between people. If I'm not insisting that you work according to my understanding, and you're not assisting, insisting that I work according to your understanding, and we're not comparing ourselves with one another, immediately, a lot of friction is just gone. But of course, these things belong to the third level of consciousness. And so you've got to start to get your something under the influence of the third level of consciousness to be able to start to think in a new way, to allow these ideas to, to begin to transform your, your thought, your thought processes, the way you think about things. So you start thinking like that. You start thinking like, you know, it's okay for you to have a different understanding. It's okay for you to do it differently. Look, if that's your look, if your way of not expressing negative emotions is to go and beat that guy's car with a sledgehammer, that's your business. You know, if you say you're not expressing negative emotions, okay. That's really none of my business. I don't have to judge it anymore. I don't have to fix it anymore. I don't have to interfere in it anymore. I don't have to put my bungee cord on it anymore. I don't have to do that. Well, that's his way of not expressing negative emotions. Fine by me. Can you live with that? Negative emotions can't be acted upon directly. Our thoughts have to change first. The problem is, it's a full-time job rerouting the neurons and the synapse where these processes are already in action. We talked about, I think, was it last week we talked about the brain making a decision 10 seconds before we become conscious of it? Or a couple weeks before that, we talked about memory and how memory was in the neurons. Since the memories are in the neurons and they act so much faster than that we can't keep up with it, it happens and then we do. So because you can't act on that directly, the work puts it this way, emotions are 30,000 times faster than thoughts. So since negative emotions can't be acted upon directly because of the job of rerouting the neurons and the synapse, our thoughts have to change first. That is how we reroute the neurons and the synapse. We change our thoughts. Why? Well, because we can manage that. That's why. That's something that we can manage. We can introduce new ideas and new thoughts into our intellectual center. And by introducing those new ideas and new thoughts, the emotional part of the intellectual center can get behind that. And when it does, the emotional part of the intellectual center can communicate with the emotional, with the emotional part of the emotional center. And when it can communicate, it, it starts to reroute the neurons. It starts to send a different kind of energy on a different pathway. It makes a different connection because we haven't made those connections. Our connections with emotions are all negative. We haven't made the kinds of connections that we need to make, but we can make them. It's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not gonna happen in a flash for most people, but it does happen and it can happen and it will happen if you'll do the work. New knowledge must be applied in order. What is the order? Stop saying I to your thoughts. That's a good place to start. Just stop saying I to your thoughts. I think, I think, I feel. Okay, well, habitual thoughts must first be recognized as machinery. What does it mean to stop saying I to your thoughts? There's two ways to do it. There's the external way, imitation. Then you just start saying, well, it thinks and it, whenever you can remember to do that. Whenever you can remember to imitate that, you do that. And then there's the internal way. You look at the thoughts, you recognize them as habitual, mechanical, automatic, and you say, these are not my thoughts. These are thoughts that have been programmed into the neurons and the synapse, and they're running, but they're not mine. Well, you choose whichever way you think is best, and then do that. We must learn 
to challenge thoughts. You find yourself in a train of thought that is making you negative. You're rehearsing what she didn't do, what he didn't do. Not what they did. Let's just pick one, what they didn't do. Well, they didn't do that. So you rehearse it. Well, they said they were going to do it. Well, they should have done it because they said they were going to. They promised they'd do it. They do that all the time. Blah, 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 blah. You see? But the thing is, what you need to do at that point, instead of saying, it thinks, blah, 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 is that's not my thought. That's habitual, automatic thought. And it will go on and on and on and on without me. It's something that's playing. I don't need to be identified with it. I don't need to believe in it. I don't need to go with it. They're automatic. So you have to ask yourself when you find yourself in an automatic thought process. Did I go with it? Did I identify with it? And here's the part where sincerity is important in the work. You have to be sincere with yourself. You can't just say, oh, no, I didn't. If you did, you got to have the courage to say, yes, I did. But you can't have the courage to say, yes, I did, if you're judgmental about it. When are you judgmental about it? When you're judgmental about it is when you judge other people. See, we really aren't judgmental about ourselves. Really, we're not. We love ourselves far too much to judge ourselves. We judge ourselves as wonderful. We don't really judge ourselves. Pat and I were talking last night about this, and she said, well, I am saying all these bad things to myself all the time. And I didn't tell her, but I'll tell you. When people are doing that, they're really cooking in the soup they made for somebody else. It's as you judge, you are judged. So really, all that is is your judgment that you put out on other people coming back on you. Because it's like having a bad dog, and you let it loose, and it goes around biting people. Well, it doesn't just bite the people you want it to bite. It just bites anybody. And if you happen to be there, it's going to bite you. Well, you are there because you're living with the dog, the bad dog. That's how that actually works. Try to bring this work knowledge into the old thought patterns about yourself, about others, about life. If we can't, we remain identified with mechanical thinking. But if we can introduce just one of these esoteric ideas at the right time, it can make a difference. It can help us to release one of the bungee cords or release a group of little ones. At first, this requires effort, the effort of internal attention. The work has to find a place in you first, but you've got to plow the field and plant the seeds before it's going to grow. You've got to do that, and that takes the effort of internal attention. You've got to internally give your attention to this. You've got to internally value this. You've got to, through self-observation, see, have, have seen what it is that you're working with, what your field is like, the rocks in it, the weeds in it, the trees, the stumps, the things in it that are not conducive to a good crop, a good growth. And then you've got to give your attention to that. You've got to see what it is. When you see that you're working with a rocky field that's really going to be hard to grow anything in, then you begin to understand what you are. Then you have some valuation. This is going to be hard, but it could be like this if I'm willing to do this work, the effort of internal attention. Think about awakening. Not that you have, but that you must because you are asleep dreaming that you're awake. Because wherever you are, you need to awaken. If you can hear my voice where you are, you need to awaken. I don't care how far beyond other people around you you think you are, or you actually are. You still, there is still more to awaken to. There is more for us to awaken to. So you've awakened? Wonderful. I'm happy that the process has begun with you. It's why I do what I do. I love to share this. But we still have more awakening to do. We're, we're not done yet. Oh, well, I woke up. Great. I'm awake. Good. You can be more awake. Well, okay, now I'm more awake. Good. You can be more awake. Okay, now I'm more awake. Good. You can be more awake. And as many times as you can say, I'm awake, I can say, you can be more awake. And it will be true. 
We must be reminded often for a long time before something happens in us and we find that we're no longer thinking old thoughts about certain somethings. Pick any old thing you want. I don't care what it is. Old thoughts about work, old thoughts about spouse, old thoughts about kids, old thoughts about parents, whatever something. It takes a while. It just takes a long time. And maybe we get one area. It's going to take a long time to get it into the other area. Maybe not as long. Maybe we've got some new neurons connected up. Maybe it'll be a little bit easier. As little bit easier as that's going to be, something else is going to be that much harder. Because the same amount of force is required of everyone. The same amount of energy is required of everyone. It takes the same for everyone, just in different places at different times. So this forms the new neurons in the brain, allowing the new synapse to transmit new knowledge, making new reactions possible based on the new knowledge. Makes sense, doesn't it? You just build better roads. We don't even have to be better necessarily. You build different roads, and you have different cars on them that go to different places. That's how this work works. And that's the work that we're doing now. Yeah, it's tough road building. And it's tough car building. But once you get them done, you get to places you never were before that you had no access to. It's like Lewis and Clark, man. You know, it's like you're exploring new territory. You're building a network into higher levels of consciousness, better states, better places to inhabit, to go and live and experience. That's what this is about. When this happens, we begin to have moments of new understanding. When we fall asleep again, we have reverted to old neuronic pathways, habitual thoughts and attitudes, back down to the second level of consciousness. But even the second level of consciousness can be made better. A measuring cup with the gradations on the side, you know, the little lines on the side, a quarter of a cup, half a cup, three quarters of a cup, a cup. And then it has the millimeters or milliliters, milliliters, I guess it is. It's not like you pour a glass of water in there and you pour a cup of water in there and you can just pick up half a cup of water. The gradation doesn't actually cut it right there across. And so it's, it's kind of like that. The gradations are just marks on the cup. The life is in the cup, not on the gradations on the outside that give us an idea of how much we have yet to fill up. Oscillation between the two, between old neuronic pathways and the new neuronic pathways that we're building, that we're making, oscillations between the two can be quite violent until we establish a network allowing us to remain in the third level of consciousness longer. You kind of get into the third level of consciousness and then you oscillate back down into the second level of consciousness. You oscillate into the third, you oscillate into the second. For some people it's like a tank slapper. Bam, 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 bam. And it can be very violent. And that's just the way it is. Some yogis withdraw to this level and this third level of consciousness and meditate on it. The problem is the emotions don't obey our thoughts, making work on emotions necessary at the same time. So while we're doing all this in our thoughts, the work also says, try not to express negative emotions. Not expressing negative emotions is of no value whatsoever. In fact, it can be harmful. How can it be harmful to not express negative emotions? Well, some people don't express negative emotions and then fall into pride and vanity because they're better than everybody else around them. That's harmful. You'd be better off expressing the negative emotion and getting rid of it and getting on with your life. Or a story about the two monks, two Buddhist monks who were walking along the road. And they came to a creek and there was a young woman there with a silk dress on, silk kimono on, and uh, she couldn't get across the creek without getting all muddy and ruining her dress, her kimono. So one of the monks picked her up, carried her across, put her down on the other side. Now five hours later, the other monk, who didn't pick her up, said to the monk who picked her up, how could you do that? You know that we monks are not supposed to do things like that. And the monk said to the other monk, you're still carrying her? I put her down ages ago. And that's how we are. If you don't express the negative emotions, and he did, and he expressed his negative emotion and put it down on the other side of the creek, and you carried yours for five more hours, you did yourself some harm, a lot of harm. Because it's not just those five hours. It's also those powerful bungee cords that you created while you were doing it that will be there to yank you back next time a whole lot faster.
and a whole lot stronger. Why should we work on negative emotions? Because the negative part of the emotional center is the seat of ordinary will. The small will from the change in mind that we have when we start to work with the ideas, there's a small will that is created there. You can see that. You can see that you will not to do something. You will not to react in some way. I hope Connie doesn't mind. The perfect example is when I caught TJ. TJ, our African gray parrot, had gotten away and told Connie, well, you know, go get the cage. She walked up the hill, which is, you know, our hill is a steep hill up to the house. She walked up the hill, and I had closed the garage door. So she came back down to get the keys. That was it. And the whole time she was coming down to get the keys, she was just furious that I had closed the garage door. And so she was, in her mind, rehearsing what an idiot I was. But she had this thought in her head, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to react that way. But then she got close to me. It just all came out of her mouth in this torrent of negativity. And... Uh, and that's what I mean. So we have this little will in the mind, but it's not enough to control the negative emotions. We need to work on the emotional center as well, because our ordinary will, the seat of our ordinary will, is in the emotional center. What part of the emotional center do you think it's in? Right, the negative part of the emotional center, which isn't a real part of the emotional center, but it's something we've built there as a temporary structure that we now permanently reside in. So the change really in the mind isn't powerful enough to control the powerful eyes in the negative part of the emotional center, which links with the body will to resist change. The body has a will also. The mind has a will, the emotions have a will, the body has a will. The negative part of the emotional center, the eyes in there, link up, and they're very powerful. They link up with the body will, which resists everything. I mean, think about how your body just resists everything. If you're in touch with the sensations in your body at all, you know that your body resists almost everything. Very few things that it embraces. Most everything it resists. At first, it's defeat after defeat until new knowledge enters the emotional part of the mind where new will begins to be formed. The new knowledge, we have to start to feel emotional about it mentally. And when that happens, a new will begins to be formed. This awakens the buried treasure in the emotional center, the buried treasure which knows the truth and knows the good. It actually acts on negative emotions where we can't. We cannot act on negative emotions directly. They're too much for us. But this buried treasure in the emotional center can act on negative emotions. What is this buried treasure in the emotional center? It's real conscience. The work says it's buried conscience. It says it's buried because it's buried in the emotional center. But it's real conscience, and it's the same for everybody. And it's there, but it's buried. What is it covered up with? Well, it's covered up with dirt. That's what everything's buried with. No, it's covered up with acquired conscience. Acquired conscience is the conscience that is different in each country, and different in each home. So in this home, these people think that this is a good idea then their conscience says that that's the right thing to do. But in this home, they think this is a good idea. So in their, their conscience, they think that's the right thing to do. So in this home over here, they say eating meat is bad. So their conscience pricks them when they eat meat. And in this home, they say eating cheese is bad. So their conscience pricks them when they eat cheese. And in this home over here, they say not eating your enemy's heart is bad. So after they kill their enemy, if they don't eat their heart, then their conscience pricks them. So that's acquired conscience, and it's different for all kinds of people. It's different in different places. But real conscience is the same for everybody all the time. That's a very powerful buried treasure. If we can connect with that, then we have something that can fight negative emotions for us, that can put them where they belong for us, because we cannot handle them directly. We've got to keep new neuronic pathways well-traveled, or they close down like an untrodden path in a jungle. Rex, you remember going through the jungles of Guatemala? They'd be there just two days before and they had to hack their way through again because everything grew up, grew up so fast. 
And it's like that. If we don't keep these pathways, these neuronic pathways, open by exercising this knowledge, these thoughts, these aims, they will close back down and we will revert back to the old ways. And we revert back to the old ways very, very quickly. Because remember, we've got bungee cords that take us back there. We have to work to get to these other neuronic pathways that we're building. So we must keep them open. This buried treasure, real conscience, is our connection with the infinite. Energy no longer becomes a problem because the infinite is the source of all energy. As we open that connection, the energy flows and it's there for us so that it can easily overcome negative emotions. It does the work for us, freeing us from ascribing it to ourselves. Don't ascribe good or evil to yourself. We stand in the path of our own development. So don't bother ascribing either good or bad to yourself. The power of real conscience comes from the infinite. Man used to be awake. We have inherited this state of sleep from the sleeping people around us. But it is our birthright, and we can regain it. When we connect with real conscience, we'll know what to do directly, just like man used to know what to do directly. Now we can only get back by indirect methods. Change of mind starts the process. That starts the dominoes falling. As we begin to change our mind with new knowledge, new ideas, change our way of thinking, the process begins. It's not as fast as falling dominoes. It's as fast as dominoes falling in molasses in winter. As we are, we must take a certain kind of action to jump up to the work. It's more like effortless action. It's an action that you take emotionally more than physically or intellectually. And when you take that action emotionally, what happens is that you're drawn. It's like the action of a magnet. It's not like you're making this effort. You're sweating bullets. In the beginning, you can. But I have found that people who sweat bullets become identified with the work that they did and cannot leave it. And so I recommend this other effortless action, the action of inaction. It's almost like emotional kinesis where you realize what it is that you really are and you wish strongly, powerfully, to awaken to that. And that wish draws you. Then what you are draws you. It makes a connection and draws you. Just kind of like take a straw and you put it in water and then you put your finger over the end of the straw and you pick it up, the water's still in the straw. You take your finger off and the water comes out. It's like that. It's like effortless action. And if you don't use this effortless action, the false personality will rob you. And how it will rob you is it will ascribe it to itself and it will be reticent to ever let it go. That is why I think people have such a difficult time letting go of the system that brought them this far. You've got to be willing to let it go. If you don't, you could die there. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com, to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.